Slash and Cast. Hello, Mysterians. Cam here with a short message for you before we start the episode. First of all, I want to wish everyone a wonderful holiday season. This year has been full of many exciting new things, and although we haven't been releasing as many episodes as we had originally planned to, it doesn't mean we haven't been hard at work. Recently, we did our first live show about the great Canadian maple syrup heist, and we plan on doing more in the coming year. So, if you are in the Saskatoon area, keep an eye on the socials for upcoming events. We've also been hard at work on a new podcast about Canadian heavy music called Crate Diving. The doctor and I are both very passionate about music and have been floating this idea around since before I joined the cabinet. And recently, some opportunities to interview local musicians came up. And when opportunity calls, you gotta answer. Because who knows when, or if, it might call again. So, if you have any interest in music, or just want to hear more of our wonderful voices, please come and give Crate Diving a listen. Today's episode is one that we thought was lost forever, and if you listen to episode 34, The Mapinguari, the doctor mentioned that he had recorded a Christmas episode, but lost the hard drive that it was on. Well, we found it. So, here is... The Lost Christmas Special. Happy Holidays, and we'll talk to you all in the new year. It's going to be a good one. The Christmas Holidays the most wonderful time of the year. A time to spend with family and friends and reconnect with loved ones far away. A time for giving, a time for loving, and a time for forgiving. Christmas, the most wonderful time of the year. Or is it? In this Christmas special episode, we'll discuss some of the most disturbing and hilarious Christmas Crimes in History. Welcome to another episode of the Cabinet of Dr. Mystery. I'm your host, Dr. Mystery. I tried to create living zombies. Reports that have been made by credible observers of relatively incredible things. All I gotta do is relax and they'll take me to their death. Last chance to evacuate Earth before it is recycled. This is a wicked, wicked world. We are all evil in some form or another. I hope everyone is excited for Christmas, excited for the new year as well. Everybody's traveling back home. They're going to see family. Christmas is usually a time for giving, a time for reaching out to people that you haven't been in touch with for a while and just checking in on your friends and families and meeting up with them and having some turkey and having some good dinners and snacks and Oh my god, Christmas is a wonderful time of year, and uh, you know, it's not my favorite holiday, I think Halloween would be my favorite holiday, but Christmas is a pretty close second. 
I love the atmosphere of Christmas. I love the act of giving, of creating your own little gifts, of connecting and reconnecting with your friends and family. But that's not what we're talking about today. In today's Christmas special, we're going to talk about some crazy crimes that happen around Christmas. And I'm about to open up a Rebellion Zilla IPA because Rebellion is phenomenal. And the Zilla IPA is absolutely spectacular. That is damn good beer. So this episode isn't really going to be structured. I haven't written much of a script. It's going to be a little loosey-goosey because we're just chilling, having some eggnog, which I'm having vegan eggnog, which is amazing. And, you know, have a beer and hit a couple dab pens and take a couple dab hits. But we're just chilling for this episode. We're just having a wonderful Christmas time. So this first story is called the Santa Claus Bank Robbery. Now, this incident took place December 23rd, 1927 in Central Texas, specifically Cisco. Now, Marshall Ratliff was an ex-con, and he had lived in Cisco before being tracked down and imprisoned for a bank robbery in the nearby area of Valera, Texas. Now, he was given a long prison sentence. He had actually been paroled, though, so he planned to rob the Cisco bank with his brother Lee, but Lee had been arrested, and so Ratliff pulled in two other men that he knew from Huntsville and a fourth man that was good with safes. Now, around this time in Texas, three or four banks were being robbed every day. And in response, the Texas Bankers Association had offered a $5,000 reward to anyone shooting a bank robber during the crime. Now you have this addition of people who would just like shoot bank robbers to stop the robbery. So Ratliff had lived in Cisco, and I'm sure he had robbed banks or he had committed crimes in Cisco, and he knew that he would be recognized either by people in the area or the bank employees themselves or the law enforcement. Uh, so he decided that he was going to conceal himself by disguising himself as Santa Claus. So they stole a car, and they headed up to the bank. He put on this Santa Claus suit, and he went through the street and pretended to be Santa Claus. He stopped to talk with children. He answered their questions. He patted them on the head. He asked them what they wanted for Christmas, you know, the whole Santa spiel. And uh, yeah, no one thought it was strange or, or odd that Santa was walking down the street, you know, one day before Christmas Eve. And uh, the children, you know, were following Ratliff, calling him Santa. Eventually, he had joined the other three members of this gang that were going to go rob the bank and it was almost like the Pied Piper the children continued into the bank after the three of them when he was inside uh, Ratliff was greeted by the cashiers and they said hello Santa how are you how can we help you today Santa he just ignored everybody and he walked by a desk where bank customers were writing out their deposit slips and one of the accomplices Robert Hill he entered the bank pointed a pistol at the cashier and he yelled at her to put her hands up the other two men followed shortly after, and both of them also brandishing their pistols asked everybody to put their hands up. Now Ratliff pushed through the door, past the cashier's desk, and went into the cage. Now he opened a drawer under the counter, and he took a pistol out from that location and stuffed it under his Santa suit. Now all of the men were armed, including Santa Claus. Santa ordered the cashier to open the safe and he began stuffing money and bonds into a sack that he had hidden beneath his costume. He, he really took this Santa thing to the next level. Eventually, Ratliff pulled all the cash out from the tills and then he forced an employee to open the vault. 
Other people had entered the bank hoping to see Santa with their children, not knowing that there was a robbery in progress. Now, the people that had entered after the robbery began, the people that were with their children hoping to see Santa Claus, they rushed out of the building and they started yelling, they're robbing the bank, they're robbing the bank. Now, at this point, the police officers have been alerted. So the police chief, he grabbed a riot gun and he posted himself up in the alley and another officer took a position near the other alley, which ran behind the bank. Both of these alleys kind of intersected each other, so they had made it so that the gang was kind of cornered in the back when they would have gone through the back alley. Now at this point, Santa had successfully stuffed his sack full of money and bonds. We're not sure who fired the first shot. Some of the sources and witnesses say that Ratliff, the Santa Claus, fired first. Other sources say that his accomplice Hill saw one of the officers outside and fired through the window. And then a shootout began. Both of the police officers crossfired at the side door and the two armed robbers, they fired back. Now, as I said before, you have this $5,000 reward for people that are, uh, you know, they're going to stop this robbery. So all of these civilians that owned guns, they were now outside the bank and a lot had rushed to hardware stores to buy pistols and rifles so that they could get this $5,000 reward for putting a bullet in one of these bank robbers. Now, there's just a hail of bullets. A bullet strikes one of the fugitives in the arm, and because it was from a rifle, it just, like, spun him around. Another bullet strikes a cashier in the jaw. Another strikes a customer in the leg. At a certain point amongst the chaos, some people are able to flee the scene, and they inform the police officers that the robbers have hostages. Now, the bank robbers, they force all of the hostages out of the door and into their blue sedan. Obviously, with this hail of gunfire, some of these customers have been injured and some of them have been shot. At one point, there are two or three young women that are being used as shields. I think I should say young girls because I think they're like, you know, from 9 to 13 or something like that. But they use these young girls as shields so that they could make their way into the alley to their getaway blue sedan. The police officers were both mortally wounded. The police chief, who had been chief in charge for about 25 years, was shot five times. He died several hours later on Christmas Day, and uh, the other officer died almost a month later in mid-January. Two of the bank robbers were also injured. Ratliff suffered several wounds, one in the chin and one in the leg for sure. Now, the robbers had begun their getaway as they were running away from the police, or they were fleeing the police in their vehicle. One of them realized that they had forgotten to fill the tank. Keep in mind that it's not only police that are hunting these people. Um, it's also a mob from the town trying to get their $5,000 reward. Now, you would think that carjacking would probably not be your best option at this point, considering all that you have done and all the people that had been killed or wounded. But what they did was they jumped out and there was an Oldsmobile that was driven by a 14-year-old, so obviously very different times. And uh, they pointed their guns at him and said, get the fuck out of the car. Now, after moving everything into the Oldsmobile, their, you know, the hostages, the loot, and the injured bank robbers, they realized that the 14-year-old was a lot fucking smarter than they were, and he had taken the keys. So they were unable to start the vehicle because they had no keys. Now, they panicked because the mob had caught up to them and was starting to shoot at them, so they decided they were going to transfer everything back into the other vehicle. What ended up happening is they ended up moving the hostages into the other vehicle, and as they were doing this, one of the other bank robbers was struck in the shoulder by another rifle bullet. 
as they were driving away, they found out that they left their unconscious fellow bank robber who had been shot in the Oldsmobile, and they had left all the money. Now, that money was returned to the bank because the mob had found it, so in total they had stolen $12,400 in cash and $1,500,000 in stocks and bonds. It is estimated that about 200 bullet holes were found in the bank. Other than the two police officers that were mortally wounded ended up dying from their wounds, six townspeople had been wounded in the shootout. Now, with that hail of gunfire, you're not sure if it's the bank robbers or if it's the mob of townsfolk that are shooting and injuring people at this point. They were still being pursued by somebody in a vehicle, and they were shooting at the vehicle as they were driving away. This sounds like a phenomenal television series or a, or a movie. But eventually, they, were, they went off of the road. They went off-roading. And because of the growth and the uh, vegetation, they were unable to continue forward. So they ended up abandoning the vehicle and the two hostages. And the vehicle at this point was just riddled with bullets. Now, there was a big effort from the local law enforcement and the mob people as well. You know, they really searched high and low for these bank robbers. But despite their efforts, the bank robbers were able to evade all the search parties and they stole another car the next morning. Now, the bank robbers, they had ended up wrecking the car that they had stolen. So they tried to steal another vehicle. And the individual that was driving the vehicle left the vehicle, but his father fired his shotgun after the fleeing car, but ended up actually shooting his son instead. So now you have this like other incident of violence, even though these bank robbers weren't technically involved. I should say that they did take this driver of the vehicle as a hostage. So when his father shot into the vehicle, he, his son was inside and he ended up striking his son. At one point, they decided that they would return to Cisco and try to hide in plain sight. So they released their hostage and his vehicle, and they stole another vehicle. Now, keep in mind that all of these people are wounded, including Santa Claus himself. You know, they're, they're wounded, they have no food, and it's cold and it's icy out. Now, the trio of bank robbers, they were ambushed the next morning because the sheriff had set up a little roadblock for them as they tried to go across the bridge. One of the uh, members of the bank robbers had seen that the officers had a gun in their hand and he had the driver put it into reverse and back down the road. A car chase ensued and a shootout in an oil field as well. And these individuals, they tried to run towards the oil wells. The sheriff who had set up the roadblock eventually cornered them in the field. And while the bank robbers were running away, the sheriff fired and one of the fugitives fell. He reloaded his gun, and as he was reloading, the other remaining bank robbers were firing over their shoulders as they ran away. Two of the bank robbers ended up escaping into the woods. However, Santa, Ratliff, he was caught after he was injured and fell. The really interesting part is that he had six pistols when he was captured, including the one that he took from the bank, but he also had six gunshot wounds on his body. Now, the two remaining robbers, they, they kept going, and there was a huge manhunt for them. They were eventually captured seven days after the bank robbery, and they were absolutely exhausted. You know, they, they hadn't eaten for several days, they had wounds on them, 
it was it was crazy it's crazy to think about these people just continuing to run after they've been shot several times and they're all cut up and it's freezing out and they haven't eaten um eventually they were apprehended and they were taken into custody without a fight i'm sure these men were looking for a warm meal and a warm place to stay and they just didn't give a shit if it was in prison or not each of them was captured with three to four pistols however Helms, Hill, and Ratliff, three of these uh, remaining bank robbers, they were all set for trial. Helms was identified as one of the bank robbers that had gunned down both law enforcement officials, and after an unsuccessful insanity plea, on September 6, 1929, in Huntsville, Texas, he was executed by electric chair. One thing that I would like to cover in a future episode is the last meal kind of thing, where they ask you what you want as your last meal before you enter death row or before you're executed, right? So this is what his last meal is reported to be. Cabbage. Sausage, tomatoes, coffee, and pie. Mmm, I'm a vegan, but if that was vegan sausage, I would be there for it. That sounds amazing, and I am hungry. Fuck. Now, Hill pleaded guilty to armed robbery, and he took the stand on his own behalf, begging for the court to take mercy on him because of his shitty childhood. That's why he did this. Hill was given a sentence of life imprisonment, which is 99 years at that point. He did escape from prison at least three times, but he was captured every time. And after a little while in the uh, 1940s, so 10 to 15 years later, he was paroled he changed his name and he became a productive member of society and it's reported that he'll passed away in 96 now ratliff the uh, santa claus in question he was convicted of armed robbery in late january 1928 and he was sentenced to life in prison now ratliff was actually eventually sentenced to execution for his role in the deaths of the two law enforcement officers and he tried to go the way of the other guy that was executed by the electric chair he started acting weird and out of place and he, he tried to uh, get that insanity plea going Oof, that is some good beer let me tell you that um i'm also taking dab hits of uh royalty um the queen's what is it her majesty's royal melons yeah the queen's titties is what we call them really really good concentrate as well now you're probably thinking where does this fucking story end well it's not over yet the uh, civilians of the county, they were upset that this Santa Claus had caused such mayhem and he wasn't executed for his crimes. So the judge could sense that the uh, surrounding civilians were getting angry. So he ordered that the Santa Claus was extradited to a different jail. Now, he was awaiting execution and he convinced the jailers that he was paralyzed. He had them thinking that they needed to feed him, bathe him, take him to the bathroom. So the jailers kind of let him go like they weren't concerned about him he wasn't a security risk because he was just paralyzed right now ratliff had managed to get a hold of one of the six shooters that they had in the office desk and he fatally wounded one of the jailers and he violently fought the second jailer fisticuff style most of the citizens of the town could see what was happening through the jail windows, but they weren't able to break in because it was steel doors and reinforced windows and everything. Uh, so they just watched the other jailer fight Ratliff. Eventually, he beat Ratliff into unconsciousness and then threw him back in his cell. 
The crowd began to gather the next morning after learning what he had done in prison. Approximately 2,000 citizens were trying to get into the jail so that they could presumably execute Ratliff themselves. Eventually, the jailers were overpowered by the 2,000 citizens, and they rushed in and dragged Ratliff out. They hogtied him, carried him out to an empty lot, and they attempted to lynch him. The first attempt failed when the knot came loose, but the second time, they used a stronger rope, and they were successful. Ratliff was hoisted 15 feet in the air, and about 20 minutes later, he was pronounced dead. So after all was said and done, this bank robbery caused countless, countless wounds, tons of property damage, and at least six people dead. Now, this is one of the greatest robberies in the history of West Texas, and there's a lot of paintings and articles commemorating this robbery as well. Now, why don't we discuss a couple funny stories before I leave you guys to your Christmas festivities. One of these funny stories is actually a little bit unnerving when you first start talking about it. Back in 2011, there was a young boy, uh, 10 or 11 years old, that was in his home and had discovered a burglar. Now, the burglar was in his mid-40s, and uh, he was described as being high on bath salts. Now, when you think about bath salts, you think about zombies, and you think about uh, people eating other people's faces, which is fair. I've never tried bath salts, but the only incident other than this one that I've heard of where somebody was using bath salts was the zombie attack. Um, I'm not sure when that was. That was, that was a while ago. But that was really intense. That was a really frightening experience. However, this is actually kind of funny. This gentleman was high on bath salts and he broke into these people's homes where the young boy found him so that he could decorate for Christmas. He lit candles, he put up a wreath, he put up some decorations, and then he does what we all do after we've decorated for Christmas. We lounge around and we watch Christmas movies. Now, the young boy had called his mother, who was actually next door, and when his mother came over and asked the man to leave, the mid-40-year-old man was uh, very polite, and he said, quote, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to scare you. I'll get my things and go, end quote. Isn't that great? What a nice gentleman. Even though he's intoxicated on bath salts, uh, he just wanted to help you decorate, and he's so apologetic. What a nice gentleman. Now, another incident happened in 2013. A woman from South Carolina was upset when her partner returned home without any alcohol. Now, not understanding that the stores were closed on Christmas Day and that he could not purchase any beer for her to drink, she grabbed a ceramic squirrel and stabbed him repeatedly in the chest. She tried to explain this away to police officers as though the gentleman had fallen, um, and then the cops began to ask her why she was also covered in his blood. Now, how about one of these Santa Clauses that were extremely intoxicated? Now, a 66-year-old uh, volunteer Santa Claus out in New Jersey, this was back in 2017, he volunteered for an organization called Toys for Tots. Now, he was driving, and he had his Santa suit in the back, and he had a crack pipe on top. So he was pulled over for speeding or for having a taillight out or something like that, you know, a motor motor vehicle violation. And when the police officers went up to the vehicle, uh, they could see that the Santa Claus suit was there and on top of it was a beautiful shiny crack pipe. They went through the Santa Claus's belongings through his car. They found bags of crack and heroin and hypodermic needles. How's that for a uh, happy, happy Santa Claus? Maybe we'll cover this in more detail in a 
longer episode in the future, but, you know, switching gears and going back to something a little bit more serious, we all remember the John Benet Ramsey case. Now, between December 25th and December 26th of 1996, a six-year-old beauty pageant winner went missing from her own home in Boulder, Colorado. In the morning, her parents found a ransom note demanding $118,000 for her return. The Ramseys called police, who found no evidence of forced entry, and they searched the house for clues as to how someone would have kidnapped their daughter. The Ramseys found their daughter strangled in the basement. Initially, police suspected John and Patricia Ramsey themselves of killing their own child and staging the ransom note to cover up the murder. However, after a public investigation, they couldn't find enough evidence to prove this. Then, investigators focused on the possibility of an intruder who snuck into the house at night who was intent on kidnapping her but accidentally killed her instead. To this day, neither of those theories have been proven and the case remains unsolved. We might talk about something like that in the future. We might talk about JonBenet Ramsey uh, herself in a full episode, or we could talk about some of these unsolved, mysterious crimes that have happened over the years. Now, if we're talking about gruesome or grisly Christmas murders, we have to talk about Alex Valdez. Now, I was a student myself at one point for several years. I understand how difficult it can be to find housing. You know, most of the time, most students are in school full-time, and a lot of them aren't working, and if they are working, they're working just part-time. So it's difficult to find housing that you can afford while also trying to be a student. And in my case, what I did was I put alcohol first. Uh, you're right. I put weed and alcohol first before my room and board. At one point, I was living in someone's closet. Fun stuff. So I understand how housing can be tough. I had this really amazing family when I was younger. They lived next door to my family, and I used to babysit their son, but it ended up turning into uh, a friendship. So I ended up hanging out with their son uh, once he got a couple years older, and I developed a really good connection with this family. Still super amazing, fantastic family that supports me in everything that I do, um, and I love them deeply. Uh, there was uh, one year, I think it was for several months that I lived with them, it was when I had first started going uh, back to school and they let me live at their place. Like I would give them a little bit of rent money um, and I would help them out if their if their son was uh, home alone. And, you know, they let me live there for a very cheap rate as long as I went to school and I was working and that sort of thing. And Alex Valdez was in that exact same situation. Um, the only difference is, is that uh, when they had asked me to move out because of, I think I was 19 or 20, uh, so I was sneaking out to smoke pot. And, you know, it, it was a difficult situation because they could tell that I was just, you know, ignorant student that was intent on living my own lifestyle, regardless of who was living in the home with me. So when they had asked me to move out, I was very respectful and I thanked them for letting me live with them and stay with them. And, you know, even after uh, I moved out, we kept in touch and they helped me out a lot for years after that. Um, and actually, just a few days ago, I was talking to one of the members of the family, um, and it was really good to hear from her as well. The reason that I brought all of that up is because Alex Valdez was in a similar situation. He was living with his aunt and her boyfriend, but they had an agreement that he would pay his bills, he would go to school, and he would continue to go to work. So around Christmas, after a couple months of Alex Valdez quitting school, quitting his job, and not following through on his agreement to help them out with their bills and pay his bills, 
his aunt and her boyfriend decided to ask him to leave. Christmas is usually a very tough time for people. Lots of people struggle around Christmas because of the cost of everything and because of the expectations that are there. And this was the case with Valdez. Um, he confronted his aunt's boyfriend when the two of them were home alone, and Valdez killed his aunt's boyfriend with a hammer. He removed all of his limbs, and he decapitated him after stabbing his face and cutting his face multiple times. Now, what he did with the head was perplexing. He took his aunt's boyfriend's head and put it in his aunt's bed, and he told officials that this was a gift for his aunt. Luckily, he phoned police and informed them of what he had done, and he told them that if his aunt was home at the same time that her boyfriend was there, he would have killed and mutilated her as well. Now, I'm going to keep this episode a little bit short. We're going to cut it off here. There's so many crazy crimes that happen around Christmas, so really be careful and be safe out there. If you are interested in learning about the Ortegas and Bruce Pardo, you should go back in our archives and listen to one of our earlier Christmas specials. That episode, I believe, is from Season 1. It is Episode 7, The Covina Massacre and Bruce Pardo... The Santa Slayer. One of my most favorite episodes, one of the first episodes that I really put a lot of effort into uh, with the songs and that sort of stuff. So it's a really fun episode to listen to. There's also some clips uh, from the family members when they're calling 911. That's not as much fun, um, but it adds a lot of suspense and drama to that. So, you know, I won't talk about Bruce Pardo or the Ortegas or the Covina Massacre because you could just go to episode seven and get the full lowdown on that there. I do want to say thank you again to everybody for listening to this episode, for supporting the show. It means the world to me. I'm not sure if we'll be able to have regular episodes uh, in the near future, um, but we will definitely continue to release episodes steadily uh, once I get a new computer and once I get everything set up here. Before we end today's episode, I just want to say I wish you all a Merry Christmas. I wish you all a Happy Hanukkah. Whatever you celebrate, I wish you the best. And if you don't celebrate, I wish you the best as well. I hope everybody has a wonderful, happy holiday season and a joyous and wonderful new year. This episode is produced by Death Hotel Creative. Hosted by myself, Dr. Mystery. To view more and to grab your exclusive Cabinet of Mystery merch, visit us at notwhatwesay.com. Check out our Instagram handle at Cabinet of Mystery or our Twitter at OpenTheCabinet. Please leave us a review if you enjoyed the show and let us know what topics you'd like to hear in the future. You can hit us up on the socials or at cabinetofmystery at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voice message and appear in upcoming episodes, leave us a voicemail at anchor.fm slash cabinet of mystery. For sources on this episode, please see the episode description. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe or follow for more episodes. <laughs>